I've got a podcast in my life and that makes me more stronger and entitled and opinions like you couldn't believe. So just say that is that. We'll start the podcast and we'll talk about Punch Drunk Love because it's in the basket, the writer's bagel basket. Everything is going to be all right. I was thinking maybe the king and I. Uh, how about Oklahoma? I don't consider myself a particularly ethical person, but I am fair. Don't be mean. We don't have to be mean. Because remember, no matter where you go, there you are. Hi, welcome to Rogers Bagel Basket. I am Scott Curland, and we are talking about one of the most bizarre relationships and love stories for the start of Isn't It Romantic Month. We are talking with Colby Day, my friend. Colby, how, how many years have we been friends for? Oh, my gosh. Um, I think 15, I think 20? Going, how long is it? I think it's been 15 years. I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Ooh. holy shit. No, it's... Uh, it, we'll say 15. It's 2009, so, right? Yeah. 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 Whoa. Jesus Christ. So we're talking about, and I was waiting till we started recording to tell you this. This is one of your favorite movies. This is one of my favorite movies. Oh, baby. Uh, yeah. Beautiful film. We're talking about Punch Drunk Love, or as I call it, the lucid dream of films. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. So, Colby, why don't you give us the blockbuster rule? For Punch Drunk Love. You're in a blockbuster video in 2002 when the movie came out. And what does the back of the DVD, because we've already swapped over from VHS at this point. Yeah, I was trying to remember if I my first viewing experience was this, probably. Um, uh, well, when Barry, an anxious plunger salesman, question mark, uh, is encounters god how do you describe this film encounters it's whatever you uh, want man it's whatever you want encounters bud. uh potential new love his life suddenly changes for the better and the worse i'd say yeah that's good that's great yeah i mean you know how do you describe this film it's it's a vibe it's a feeling I I would have described it as Paul Thomas Anderson said he made an Adam Sandler comedy because that's literally yeah. how he pitched it to the studio. He's like, what if I, the man who made Magnolia, wrote an Adam Sandler movie and they're like, sold. Uh, what a, first of all, crazy sales pitch because what I, I those don't even translate like i the languages don't connect no <laughs> it's such a weird i would have a lot of questions if paul thomas anderson told me i'm gonna make a sandler movie but right choice good choice so they asked him uh at Bo boogie nights at when he was doing the press junket for boogie nights they're like who are the three actors that you want to work with the most and he said tom cruise adam sandler and daniel day lewis and then his next three movies Whoa. were Tom Cruise, Adam Sandler, and Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> he, you know, watching the movie again, he is such an actor's director. Like, he he gets exactly what people are good at and then just lets them do that and, like, channels it. And, yeah, it makes sense that he's like, I know exactly who I want and why I want them because that's what he unlocks for Sandler, for sure. Yeah, I think this was the first movie... Where Sandler got good reviews. <laughs> Which well, I, I also was Googling and like a lot of those reviews are also like kind of half compliments, half they, uh, they, yeah, I was reading Ebert's you used review. to be bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's usually making junk, but this one's good. 
Yeah, I remember Ebert's review. It was like, I love this film, and I don't think I'll ever be able to look at another Adam Sandler film quite the same way again. I think what Paul Thomas Anderson has done here is deconstruct the character that Sandler usually plays in his movies mm -hmm. and show there's a lot of anger boiling away right beneath the surface. Normally, I thought he was a class clown. See how dead on my voice is for Ebert? Normally, I thought he was a class clown, but... but Sandler has range, and I am upset because for years I was saying what a bad actor he is, but he's not. He's a good actor. And Richard Roper's face in the the review is like, dude, I've always liked Adam Sandler movies. He's good. He's good at being silly. He's good at being dramatic. He's good. Get over it, critics. Well, the thing that... <laughs> Are you saying that to me because I used to be a critic? <laughs> <laughs> uh no 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 it's no, like you no, got no, out no. you escaped the cult scott <laughs> yeah get out of there no i think there's like a i don't know i understand the inclination to want to like uh put a movie in its context but i also feel like you have to just meet the movie with what it is and kind of divorce like what the people did previously but that's hard that's hard yeah so i saw this movie back when I worked at a movie theater in high school. And mm. I saw this movie so many times that yeah. I totally, I hadn't seen this movie in 10 years. And when I put it on, I knew everything verbatim of what was going to happen next because I would be in the booth watching yeah. the movie because I would have downtime. And it was like, do I watch Punch Drunk Love for like the 15th time? Or do I go over to... I, what what was that Martin Lawrence Steve Zahn movie? Oh or no, God. it was it was Taxi with with uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Jimmy Fallon. Uh, another comic does it. Well, it's a it's a also a silly comedy, I guess. But another comic movie. Yeah, I was like, Sweet Home Alabama's on my left. Ooh. Punch Drunk Love is in the middle, and I got. <laughs> but this is the one Man. that I would watch the most. These and titles are really orienting me for when this movie came out. <laughs> um, I had the same experience. I was not a theater worker at the time, but it, I haven't visited it in a long time. And then the minute I turned it on, I was like, oh, this is so seared into my brain. Like, I know every beat of this film Yeah. Um, in a way that I, it took me by surprise. I knew I loved it, but it was like, oh my God, I know all of this. I couldn't believe the fact that Adam Sandler, for the first time in forever, agreed to be in an indie film. It's not the fact that that he's being, you know, serious or being in a drama, because I don't consider this movie a drama. It's a dark comedy, if anything. It's Yeah, it's funny. He's yeah, funny. He's funny in it, but it's it's basically like if you make it a little serious, he comes across less as Adam schmoobly goobly sandler and more of a very sad man who is lonely in this movie oh, yeah yeah what the last time i watched this was like right after i got out of a relationship it was probably Yikes. six months to a year before i met the woman who had become my wife and like i was like oh i know what it feels like to be lonely and sad oh yeah this is a profoundly lonely man and a <laughs> profoundly lonely film. Yes. Like it, it makes so much sense to me in hindsight why this movie <laughs> seared its way into my brain as like a 14 year old boy. Yeah. It is, he is so, so sad and it is crazy. And I, I read, um, I read some interview with, with Paul Thomas Sanders talking about, he knew he wanted Sandler, but he unlocked what he wanted Sandler to do when he was watching some SNL sketch where he's his dad is saying, like, you're embarrassing our family. Stop it. And Sandler, like, explodes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. It is this, like, you are you are worthless thing that yeah, he's was, captured in this film it was it's really the, wild it was the girl the girlfriend's uh show the the one that he used to date shannon doherty and he yes. was the, the denise show that's what it was called yes and phil yes. hartman was the dad who'd be like you're embarrassing yes. us yes yes and this idea that uh yeah sandler just has this like profoundly um relatable uh like underdog thing that yeah. is yeah. really 
really remarkable. And the thing that like impresses me the most is Paul Thomas Anderson made this movie literally right after he got clean and sober. Did you read that interview with Fiona Apple? I did not know this. No, that's so interesting to me. Yeah. Fiona Apple wrote uh, an essay about... Okay, because I knew that they had history, but I didn't puzzle together the timing of this. Interesting. Yeah, because around the time he was making Magnolia, he was like not sleeping. He was drinking a lot. He, yeah. He was doing uh, cocaine. <laughs> that That's how I'll phrase it. And she, she went out with him and... Uh, Tarantino joined them and she said it was like the scariest night of her life and basically it led to both of them being like I am never doing that again oh my god that sounds like a nightmare of a night just period yeah basically not only is there you know substances involved but then you're also with Tarantino talking about like grindhouse films and Clue McGlugler (laughs) like Oh my God, at like 1 million miles an hour, stuff yeah. you've never, ever heard of. And you're like, cool, Quentin. <laughs> that being said, I would love to talk to Quentin Tarantino. But Absolutely. he seems like an absolute maniac in the best way, in the most well, loving well, now, way. Well, now he seems like, and I should I should preface this by saying Tarantino is one of my favorite directors. But Great director, crazy great dir- man. Crazy man. If you've listened to his podcast, Video Archives. I haven't. Uh-oh. <laughs> He, he goes out there. <laughs> I bet. So, so he basically locked himself in a room, wrote the screenplay. He wrote it in like 15 days? It has that, and I mean this in the best way, it feels like it. And yeah. it is sort of a fever dream movie. And I, I was so remarkable watching it today and being like, there are so many things in this film that don't really make sense and are things that if you had a lot of time, someone would say, does that need to be in here? Is this part of, like, is it important that the harmonium is in here? But, like, it is, but because it is on a weird subconscious level. Yeah, it's not, yeah. Um, it really feels like a dream of a movie. And yeah. I, I I get that it happened fast. That just tracks. That makes sense to me. Literally. So this came out a year after Vanilla Sky, which is a film that is supposed to be a lucid dream. That film does not feel like a lucid dream. This movie feels like a combination of a French New Wave film and a lucid dream. Because stuff happens. Stuff doesn't make sense. He's breaking windows. A lot of windows. stuff happens to him. Like, it, he's not really... It doesn't follow a lot of the rules of movies where, like, he's driving. He only starts to drive very late in the movie mm-hmm. um, in this way that's kind of interesting. And he doesn't really change. He just gets a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It if reminds- he changes, it's in, like, the last scene where she's like, you can't just leave the hospital. <laughs> And and he goes he's like, oh okay. yeah, yeah. But but he's been saying okay like throughout the entire movie. Right. The difference is this time he doesn't break something when someone tells him you can't do something. He's yeah, just like you're changed. right. Very small. His 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 arc reminded me a lot of. Um, uh, did you see everything everywhere all at once? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of um, Wayman about how interesting. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't really yeah. change, but his message is clear. He uh, So, I mean, I would argue he changes in that he kind of goes from, from pushover, like bottled rage pushover, uh, I have to take it out on the wall, to like, I will fight back. Yeah. And I, I, to I the guess right that people. that's, yeah, to the right people. Instead of like, I will put it in more... I will have more shame. Like he does at least have an outlet in the movie, which right. is good. Yeah. And uh did you did you see that his sisters, the only one who is actually an actress is Marilyn Rashkab. Everyone yes. else is is a production designer or some sort of executive in Hollywood. 
That is very funny to me. And I I truly, this is the first time where I, I saw the dinner table of all these women and was like, who are these people? <laughs> like they don't, and they don't seem like they are actors and not in a um, negative way. They're doing a good job, but it just was like, it doesn't even really look like a family. It's just like a bunch of ladies. It like, feels oh, where it did feels they come like a, from? It feels like a Robert Altman movie. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It, that's what it feels like. It literally feels like something from McCabe and Mrs. Miller or The Player or Shortcuts, where you would have this person who isn't necessarily famous, but they like light up the the room for their like small scene, like when yeah. Robert Smigel they just have a thing. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> Yeah, when Robert Smigel, he doesn't even say anything. You would never know that this is Courage the Cowardly Dog. He basically <laughs> says, I'm a dentist. I don't like myself sometimes. Can you help me? Mary, I'm a dentist. I, what kind of help do you think I can give you? <laughs> and it... It floors you. Yeah, yeah. Wait, yeah. Okay, so like I'm looking at these actresses. Yeah, they are all like, uh, this person is a producer. This person is a co-founder of a media company. <laughs> like, yeah. Wait, what? Who are these people? The one who played his sister, Kathleen, the one um, uh, who is kind of nice to him besides Marilyn Rashkub, uh, right. she was the production designer of Army of Darkness. I have a lot of questions. I have Let's so talk. many questions. <laughs> Let's talk, Julie Hermelin. <laughs> I'm looking at her right now too. Yeah. Um. Oh, great cast. He's a genius at casting. Yes. Um, he just is so so good at it, and I think that is kind of an Altman thing too. He just has this uncanny ability to like know exactly what someone gives off and like just capture a person's energy without doing anything he was gonna make a casting faux pas because originally he begged john c Riley to play the lead brother and he's like wait what in yeah. this movie yeah and dye his hair and wear or wear a blonde wig and he's like no they're just gonna know it's me and and play the dentist no or no the brother the lead brother oh no yeah. no because <laughs> He wouldn't have no. had like any dialogue. His words would have been like, "You're a pervert," and then, no, this would have. Wow, good, good save. Yeah, do you know what he did instead? The reason why he turned it down is because he had to go film Chicago, in London. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Paul. I've got I've got other fish to fry. Yeah, yeah. This year, two thousand two, was one of the best years for movies. This came out. What else is there? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, adaptation. Oh man. Yeah. Gangs in New York. About Schmidt. Great year. About a boy. Chicago. Yep. Eh, Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> um uh there were so many other ones. Uh Oh, so I'm pulling up the box office. Uh Spider-Man, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Signs, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. 2002 is Oh, a Minority crazy Report. Year. Minority Report. Mr. The born Deeds. identity changes everything. <laughs> Mr. Deeds exists. <laughs> Catch me if you can. Yeah, good Stitch. year for yeah. movies. This was a very good year. Very strange year. And I was very... Oh, The Pianist. The Pianist came out this oh, year. Oh, what? Yeah. yeah, this is a big, big movie year. Yeah. Also, you know, the end of everything. Everything changed. This is like the, the year that all the pre-9-11 movies came out. And I do think that that movies were different after that. Culture was different. Yeah. So I've talked about this on the podcast. After 2002, the movies that came out in like 2003 were like Kangaroo Jack and like <laughs> uh, 13 Going on 30, Bulletproof Monk. Movies to make what people happy. What America needs is Kangaroo Jack. <laughs> yeah. Movies to make people happy and, for, and not see like, you know, the reality of things. So like so uh -uh. many like bizarre films, dodgeball like. Uh, well, I would argue. I love well, dodgeball, but is it's dodgeball good. I wonder now. <laughs> I rewatched it a few months ago. And How was it? It still holds up, but you have to yeah. watch the the theatrical version. The director's cut is 
like the director's cut of Anchorman. It's like, oh, they're just being inappropriate. You can't. Be. Well, yeah. First of all, comedy is really hard to to bridge 20 years. But <laughs> you also can't add time to these movies. They just don't. They do not need more. Yeah. Right. Good cut. It, good to cut them down. Because there are that for the most part, I would say 75 percent of this movie ages well. But the the yes. dialogue between him and his sisters does not age well, using basically derogatory statements. Yeah, they're really mean, and they're really mean. Um, you know, like they, yes, they use like slurs essentially. <laughs> um, but it is of the era. Like yeah. that was what people were saying. It's it's very South Parkian, and it's yeah. like, oh yeah, yeah, that we can't say that kind of thing anymore. Yeah, you. But we, there's a reason why we're not saying it on the podcast, people. If you want to know what they say, watch the fucking movie. <laughs> we're avoiding it. It's not great it's um, really bad um yeah. and it's in the trailer really it's in the trailer see this is just one of those like wow what a different era you know yeah. like that that that's time not even different. yeah yeah so when was the first time you saw this did you see it when it came out did you wait till it was on video you know, I'm really trying to remember because I feel like 14 I was probably 14 and so I yep. don't I don't think this is a movie I I saw in a theater, but I do think it's a movie that I I'm almost positive was my first Paul Thomas Anderson movie and I think would have been like a DVD at home movie around you know mid 14 or 15. Um and definitely like a well, I don't know. When did Netflix start? This is pre-Netflix still, right? So this would have been this like... This is I way... To... <laughs> you would have to go to an actual video store and rent it. Yes. So this is an I rented it movie for yeah. sure. Um, and uh, I think it is very seared into my memory because of... I really think that the movies you see like from 10 to 16 are the movies that like deeply yeah. go into your brain. And around 14, 15 is when I was like, I would rent a movie and watch it like four times <laughs> and then uh, watch like every possible version of anything I could rent. Um, mm -hmm. Although I was disappointed that this doesn't, I don't know if he never does it, but like I watched the Criterion and it's just the movie. Like there's no, I was hoping I'd get an interview with Paul Thomas Anderson at least or don't something. Don't they have the... Um the whatchamacallit um there's like shorts on there there's, there's like there's, a short there's, there's like the trailer there's the the I, fake tr uh the fake commercial for mattress world or whatever yes yes yeah. yes Where but i'm like give me leg. insight into your brain dude like i want to hear from you and it's and that was such a pivotal part of seeing movies at that age for me that's like the age i learned like oh people are making these yeah. and then i i would sit and watch the commentary and yep. watch the other commentary and um this is a movie that didn't have any of that so i just no. you just have to watch the movie and be like what is this it's like a curio yeah. um and uh sandler the other thing watching this 21 years later yeah this movie's <laughs> old enough to drink is I am probably older than Adam Sandler was in this film. Yeah. <laughs> now. Yep. Yeah. If not like the same age. And it's very weird to go from like in my head, he is a lonely, sad man and then watch it and be like, oh, I'm older than him now. <laughs> no, he was 37 when he made this. Okay. So he looks good. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not older to, than him yet. I'm going to be 37 this year. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So I saw this when I was 15 turning 16. And like I, yeah. I, as I said before, I was the projectionist as this was playing. And I was like, have you ever seen Cinema Paradiso? <laughs> I was yes. like the kid. Yes. I was like the kid in the window Absolutely. looking out. And um, the thing that depressed me the most is that, the small suburban town that I grew up in, like this movie played for three weeks. So I watched it so many times the three weeks it was there. But every time I would look down in the theater, there would be like one or two people. But the one thing I'll never forget is there was a guy wearing a beret. 
Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, yep. <laughs> this tracks. This I was tracks. like, this makes sense. This is what's so interesting to me is this to, this time period predates my understanding of like the business of Hollywood. And so yeah. to me, it was just a great movie that everybody loved. Like I watched it. I don't think I saw it in theaters, but I when I saw it, I was like, yeah, of course, a great film. Everybody knows and loves Punch Drunk Love. Yeah. <laughs> and then today, looking back, I'm like, oh, this film did not succeed commercially. This was, no, it was not critically a success. Acclaimed. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense. Yeah, it's but, not for everybody. It's really weird. Well, this came out, what, four or five months after Mr. Deeds. And I remember someone saying, oh, I saw that movie you recommended, Punch Drunk Love. No, that wasn't an Adam Sandler movie. That that sucked. That was boring. I was like, okay, well, you're going out on dates all the time, and I don't have a girlfriend. So for <laughs> me, it hits differently. This movie hits really hard for a uh, like teenage boy who has never been on a date, <laughs> which yeah. is what I was when I saw this film. Same here. <laughs> Same here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I, I went on my first date maybe a few months after I saw this movie. <laughs> but but I was I was 15 and I was like, I don't have a girlfriend. And I was like, I really get Barry Egan. And the other thing is the names that he writes in this that that PTA comes up with, like Barry Egan just sounds like a character from an Adam Sandler movie. Like Yes. Like yeah. he really I it makes me wonder how many times did he watch like Happy Gilmore or Billy Madison or like the wedding singer to really try and get his version of the beats of an Adam Sandler movie. I'm so this is what I mean where like I just want more information from from Mr. Anderson. Please tell us because I every time he's talked about it, he expresses like I was trying to write an Adam Sandler romantic comedy and it is so far afield from that. And it is so uniquely Paul Thomas Anderson that I just want insight into he's not wrong it does follow like romantic comedy rules sort yeah. of but like it's so far afield that i'm like please explain to me what the no, rules it, of it, a romantic comedy are because it makes me wonder i was like is this what my rudolph has to deal with like <laughs> all his movies do make me think about uh what their life together is like because you, you see her in movies and she's goofy and she's wacky. You see her on Baking It and she's like, big old bake. Or like on Big Mouse, she does, you know, Connie and she's basically mm -hmm. over the top and crazy. But then you see him in interviews and he's like, yeah, so um, what I did for this film. And he's very soft spoken. And you're like, okay, this, this is. Yeah. yeah. I. You know, I it's like a cliched take at this point, but you watch Phantom Thread and you're like, is that how close is this to <laughs> what you want your life to look like? Yeah, that, that I mean, if you look at the films that he made after this, so before this, he made this is his shortest film, right? It has to be by a mile, yeah, yeah, because Boogie Nights was like two and a half, Magnolia was three. 310 this yes. is 95 minutes and five of those minutes are credits <laughs> yes he <laughs> he explicitly said i wanted to make a 90 minute film and i think he comes in at exactly 90 yeah, yeah there will be blood is like almost three hours yep uh a classic oh no the master i think the master is like an hour 40 no it's got to be longer than that it's an it's hour just, 40 i think it is or it might be closer to two, but I think it's his second shortest film. It's 2.30. Seriously? <laughs> Inherent Vice is shorter. Inherent Vice and, is 2.28. Inher <laughs> no, then is it, it has to be licorice pizza, right? Uh, licorice pizza is also long. They're all long. Licorice pizza is Then why is this his shortest minutes. one? <laughs> He expressly wanted it to be. Heart Eight is short. Heart Eight is an hour forty-two. That's his. First but it had to be because it movie. was his first movie. Yeah, he didn't have any. He didn't have any leeway. And then 
post uh, Boogie Nights. He had he. I mean, he could do whatever he wanted. I mean, Boogie he's Nights a really is interesting long. guy in that he could do anything he wants, and it it's it's really odd to look at a guy's career and have him be able to do whatever he wants his whole career. It's yeah. really wild. The only other person I can think of is Kubrick. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, because yeah, even... They are very similar filmmakers, I think. So did you see the other film that influenced this movie? And it's very clear by watching the movie. But besides Adam Sandler movies, this, this movie was inspired by Popeye. <laughs> Robert Altman. Are you pop. shitting me? That's that's why. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's why she's always in red. That's why he needs me is playing throughout it. And all at once I knew, I knew at once, I knew he needed me. Wow, my jaw has dropped, listeners. Um, that's crazy to me. What about? <sighs> I mean, okay, uh, cool, good choice, uh, interesting it, choice. But but then it it like makes sense when you think about it. Yeah. And the fact that he he used so John Bryan did the score to this movie. John Bryan iconic who, score. Yeah, this is the one that I remember the most. I mean, oh yeah. I think he started working with Johnny Greenwood after this. After this. Johnny Greenwood did There Will Be Blood, right? So is that the next thing? I think yeah. that is the next thing. Yeah. Because he took off, he took a, a break for five years. Great. So, Good for him. So uh PTA did. Oh no, yeah. it was because for those five years, he had to be the assistant director for Robert Altman for Prairie Home Companion. Because the studio's like Altman's going to die any moment now. You have to be here in case he dies, so you take yes. over the film. That's yes. what it was. Yeah. What a weird thing. Yeah. That so I really want to learn more about how that broke out, like how much he was doing. Um yeah, interesting. Home? Yeah. Do you know? Yeah, it, it I would say so all the stuff with Lily Tomlin, Meryl Streep, and Kevin Klein was pretty much Altman. The stuff on stage was Altman. Some of the stuff in the dressing rooms was a 50-50. But mm. all the stuff with Tommy Lee Jones um, mm. was was PTA because apparently Tommy Lee and Robert were getting into altercations. Did not like each other. Yeah. 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 It was the whole. That makes sense. It was the whole Wes Anderson, Gene Hackman. Why don't you put on your big boy pants and tell me what you want? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, Tommy Lee Jones, uh, great guy at acting, but seems really difficult. <laughs> seems yeah. like the energy he's got on screen is the energy you're getting off screen. And the other weird thing is that the only person that Paul Thomas Anderson wouldn't direct at the time was his wife was Maya was Maya sure. Rudolph it's the one person he's like you know what I don't want to I don't want to be that guy you're pregnant yeah. with my child I don't mm. want to be that asshole no there's a line that should not be crossed I think so, it's smart yeah so let's talk about the actual relationship in this movie because this is romance month and this is this is a fantasy relationship, but it's also a bizarre relationship and at times a realistic one. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird. It's telling on myself that this is a movie I chose for relationship month. <laughs> and then it is a very difficult, weird relationship, which is his thing. That is a right. PTA thing. They're all weird. Yeah, because um, we we could have pushed this to March for Toxic Relationship Month. Yes, but yes. I, I was like, let's just put it in the middle, and if anyone tweets at me or DMs me, like, uh, you should have this in your Toxic Relationship Month, I'll be like, shut up. 
It's both. It is. I think what's nice about it as a relationship is it is both. There are elements of it that are uh, bad and weird. It's real. <laughs> it's realistic. Yeah, they are two weird people, and they have a weird relationship. Well, she um, stalks him. Yeah, yeah. I think in a friendly, good way. I think in a reasonable she, way. But yeah, she like finds tracks him down, which is great. I love oh, it. Oh, am I about to blow your mind? Tell me more. Yes, maybe. When he when he's shopping in the grocery store, the person following no. him is her. She no. is the she's what? the woman. Yeah. What is this scene on screen? Yeah. So the first time when he's in the grocery store looking looking at the healthy choice stuff. This no really yeah, there there's someone following him on the other side of the aisles. He's he's down camera, you know, camera center, and she's back in the the background, and she's out of focus. But it's a woman in all red, with light brown. Oh my brown. god! She and apparently, she's been following him throughout the entire movie, up until that point. This honestly is blown. I did not know this. I'm looking at the image now. She's there. Yeah. Wow. Good. Good. I <laughs> They're both <Thumbs> damaged. <laughs> They're both weird. <laughs> because you're like, you're like, does she know what she's getting into? And then like, I was the like, the answer is yeah. Yeah. She knows exactly what she's getting into. Yeah. That is so good to hear because watching it now, it, I did have a like, uh oh, I'm worried for her in a way that I don't think I previously had. And. No, if she's following him, they know they're both consenting adults who are equally weirdos, and she, I approve. Thumbs she up. also knew he he destroyed the bathroom. One of the best, uh, one of the best moments of the film that he <laughs> goes in there and destroys it, and they're like, "Sir, you must leave <laughs> on a date." Why, sir? Your hand is bleeding. I know. I'm going to have to ask you to leave. Yeah, but I didn't do anything. Sir, I've got no way to prove that you smashed up the bathroom. I didn't do that. I didn't. Look, I'm going to have to ask you to go. Okay. I didn't do I'm going to have to ask you to leave. All right, please don't do this to me. Sir, I'm going to call the police. All right. Can I just stay? Sir, I'm going to crack your fucking head open. Get out of here. I I think that the only time I was ever like, okay, these people are really fucked is when they're talking to each other in the hotel room and she's like, I love you so much. And he's like, I want to smash your face. And she's like, I want to bite your fingers <laughs> off. I was like, oh my God. It's perfectly um, scary, and then they both are like, this is weird, right? Yeah. This is weird. I'm like, yeah. okay, again, they are into this, I think. This is good. They're approving. It's very weird. Well, in, in film school, they would have art house night, and we had our own little private movie theater um, on campus, for the yeah. the film kids for screenings and they did this in February and to get extra points in school they would we would have to go so i was sitting next to my friend right. and his girlfriend and they were they were just sitting there both crossed armed and when that scene comes on and he's basically saying how he's going to smash her face and they look yep. at each other lovingly and they're like we've been there right i was like oh my god <laughs> You know what? You know what? In hindsight, um, I didn't understand what the emotion of it is until now. I'm now as like a nearing middle-aged married man. Uh, <laughs> there is a fine line between love and you drive me insane. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's I, I'm all for it. I think it's great. Yeah. And I think the most iconic scene in this movie, which became the poster, is basically them running in the lobby of the hotel. and It's so good. And I love how no one stops. Apparently, they didn't even tell anyone they were filming that day. They, they, oh. like, they had it set up and they made it look like they were doing a camera test. This is maddening to me as a, as a filmmaker because it is so perfect that... Uh, watching it this time, I was like, 
this is so well constructed. It's so perfectly executed. And they built this beautiful moment. And the idea that that, that could just happen <laughs> is so frustrating to me. Uh, oh, great job, guys. Great, great job. And I'm I'm surprised that no one either ruined the take because they weren't extras, they were normal people. Right. Or you didn't have, because you and I have both made movies, ha- have to have the PA of like run up to them and be like, you were just in the shot. Here, you have to sign this. <laughs> like, <laughs> we need we need you to sign this release immediately. Um yeah, or just like a weirdo being like, what are you guys doing here? You know, like that, I don't know. This seems apocryphal to me. It's too perfect. It's yeah. too perfect. They knew what they were doing. The other thing that I loved about this is e- Emily Watson is not a conventional rom-com leading lady she's always she's a she's a character actress she's a chameleon like she she yeah changes like i think until this movie i never saw what she really looked like because she always had a wig on or like a ton yep. of makeup um and then to just see that she's just you know this kind-hearted you know beautiful woman and then it's like wait a minute it's weird that they got her and not like if he's making a sandler movie Sandler at this time was casting like Winona Ryder and Drew Barrymore. Like I'm shocked that he didn't go yeah. with Drew Barrymore if he really wanted to hammer home that this is an Adam Sandler movie. Well, that's what I mean about like what is PTA's definition of that? Because it is so uh to pick Emily Watson, who is the right choice, is such a strange choice to make. And I I really feel like especially in 2002 it's it's wild to me to be like yeah she's the lead of the of the rom-com she's so not a rom-com you know she's a great dramatic actor she's in Lars von Trier movies like <laughs> yeah yeah and she presents as very which is right cuz Sandler's character is too she presents as very very flawed and very strange and very fragile um in this way that's like really perfect but is kind of odd and just casting a, a brit and having a british accent in it just is like and it's a little alien <laughs> yeah it's a little weird and i love it i think it's a good choice but it is all of it's like wow what a strange what a strange idea to have i i like it good job so i am i am going to try and make you laugh right now oh so at the movie theater going back to 2002 <laughs> the poster for this was on the outside of the theater because that's how movie theaters used to work, kids. Instead of having mm-hmm. a digital sign that announced the movie, we literally had the poster of the movie you were about to on watch. On paper. Yeah. Crazy, right? Um, mm-hmm. So at the theater is broken up into two groups, the artsy-fartsy indie people who love weird mm-hmm. movies then the people who love big budget films. And then in the middle mm-hmm. was me who appreciated both and the non indie savvy. Uh, there was this girl who was very non indie savvy. Like her favorite movie at that time, I think was I spy with Owen Wilson. <laughs> so a forgotten movie. Yes. <laughs> a classic. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much. No. So she goes, Emily Watson, Hermione's in this. And the artsy kid, who was cleaning theaters with us ripped into her for 45 minutes going from, we had already cleaned the theater. So he's basically yelling at her from theater to theater about how wrong she is. And and she looks at me and she's like, are you going to help me out here? I'm like, you're the one who made the wrong choice and said the wrong thing. I'm like, I was like, I was like, I'm not getting involved. You made your bed. You sleep in it. You know what, though? If you were making this film today, I would cast Emma Watson. She'd be great. Yeah. I would cast Emma Watson or, uh, let's see, maybe, no, not Kira Knightley. Um, Kira Knightley, like, then, well, maybe she's too young then. But Kira like, Knightley then was 17. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Kira Knightley. Yeah, that was bended like Beckham. Ooh. No, no, bad, bad timing. But that's the right energy of like, um, 
kind of uh, fragile. Because doesn't Emily Watson play? Is that not her on Thirty Rock? Who's like has the hollow bone burn <laughs> bone disease? Is that her? Is that another actress? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember this on Thirty Rock? There's a character who has hollow bones. Yeah, the one that gets engaged to Jack. Yes, that's Emily Mortimer. Emily Mortimer. Okay. Yes. 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 They, yes. They were I'm both confusing. big at the at that time. No. Mm-hmm, um. Mm-hmm. Uh oh, Zoe uh, Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan is who I would absolutely. Guess. Yeah. Or, great. or Zoe Kazan, like mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. someone with that. You know, very. Oh, Michelle Williams, most definitely. Yeah, who so, can be? I'm a little who, nervous. I'm both scared for her and of her. And and her sadness is just radiating. <laughs> Because she has in this film the, the most saddest w- eyes, <laughs> watering eyes. Yeah, she is about to weep at every moment, and it's it's very good. Uh, so anything else before we get into bagels? Oh man, it's a great movie. You got to see it. Um, let's see. Uh, Punch Drunk Love with summary summarizing thoughts. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Do you fit it into romantic still? Because I, 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 my I take still, on it wavered after I still twenty years. Do. I, yeah. I, I would say, if if the movie didn't end the way it did, with her sure. it, and and her basically lovingly say, "Here we go," mm-hmm. and basically making them both complete. Like the, the trivia in this, the the facts are. The fact that he has a blue suit, she has a red suit, uh, a red suit, a red, a red dress. He has a blue suit <laughs> that makes purple, yes. and that's basically what a vein in the heart looks like. That was what Great. he was going for. Great primary Cause, colors because blood is blue, the heart is red, and they make purple. And they're basically he's saying that they're supposed to be a complete heart. So interesting. So yeah, I would lump this in there, and and yeah, there are awkward moments, but him dancing off camera, the it it's, oh, it so is good. a very bizarrely, as I said before, French New Wave style. This is like a French New Wave rom com. Definitely, definitely, I would love watching it this time. I realized that the opening of the film with the abstract art of visuals, which are so beautiful and interesting is very much an overture it's john bryan mm-hmm. doing an overture of the movie yep. you hear the whole movie within that opening and the the abstract art for a while feels very um theatrical curtainy yeah in this way that i was like oh i'm about to sit and watch a musical yeah it's, and it's so weird you say that because the, i'd never noticed the in-between ones are supposed to be them changing the set, them changing for a play. It's literally a curtain close. Yeah, it. I had never really thought about it in that way as like the proscenium, but it really is. Yeah. And it really made me think, I want to see Paul Thomas Anderson's musical. <laughs> he has the inclination to do it. He like is a theatrical actor guy. I mean, and Magnolia, there's literally a scene where everyone I starts know. singing. He, he he clearly is drawn to theatricality and dance and song. And I just am like, similar to Spielberg, I'm like, you got to do it. <laughs> like, I, I want so badly to see what he would do with that. I thought Licorice Pizza was going to be a musical because Alana mm. Haim yep. was in the film. And then most of the cast is Haim. So yep. I was like, when I found out it wasn't, that was a film that... I literally got 20 minutes into and I was I was like I I can't get through. It's the only Paul Thomas Anderson movie I shut off. Mm. Maybe one day mm. I'll finish it, but go back. Yeah. I, pr- I probably back. will, but like when I realized it wasn't a musical, I was like nobody has time for this shit. <laughs> I want to shout out speaking of licorice pizza. I do want to shout out the uh, um PTA's 
uh, interest and obsession with uh, guys who sell weird (laughs) guys who sell weird stuff at trade shows. (laughs) Like this is so clearly a Paul Thomas Anderson thing where it's like, okay, I have a plunger salesman. I have a kid who sells mattresses. Like there is just something deep in his bones. That's like very uh, weird household stuff on the trade floor that I was like, I see, I see a theme in all your work. Mr. Anderson. So he wasn't just a plunger salesman. He was a wholesale person. (laughs) And I only know this because (laughs) in Massachusetts, we have like six of those places. And for my bar mitzvah, we had to go to one of those. And it literally looks like that. We had to go to that place to get over 200 popcorn baskets because the centerpiece for my bar mitzvah was a giant popcorn bucket, like a real one. This, of and, course it was. And then, thank you. <laughs> you're like, I've known you forever, Scott. This you're, sounds y- right. Y- you're the popcorn bastard. Um, and then like our the, the, the swag bags that we gave out were the smaller popcorn buckets that had movie tickets in it so you could go, back in the day, kids, they didn't have gift cards. You literally oh got a movie ticket voucher. And then yeah. microwave popcorn, and we had candy, movie theater candy in it, and then a Love candy it. bar with my name in a, a movie theater kiosk that said Scott's Bar Mitzvah. This is the perf. This is my ideal gift basket. To this day, I would be honored to take a gift basket with those things in and it. And this, <laughs> this is why we're friends, Colby. This is why we're friends. <laughs> like, yep. okay, so. Colby and I have been friends for almost 15 years. You're the one who, yeah, you got me into so many comics. You're saying this as we started. Yes. Yeah. Like, cause, cause you're not, you're not still reading Dr. Strange, are you? Because if you are, I'm the one who got you into Dr. Strange. Oh man. I dig Dr. Strange. I'm not still reading. I, I go in and out. I have to do trade paperbacks. I can't like stay up to date on comics. It's too hard for me. It's right. too, I can't do it, but I will catch up every couple years right. on, on my guys. So yeah. <laughs> Kobe and I, one day after, after work at the daily show, we walked to Midtown comics in New York and I basically was like, okay, this is Daredevil. This is Black Panther, Doctor Strange. These are my three favorites. And you're like, I'm going to blow your fucking mind. And you're like, this is kick-ass. This comic book, and this is Invincible. These two are from Mark Miller. They're going to blow your mind. And then I was like, he was right. <laughs> they are mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, yeah, Invincible, man. That is such a good... It's so good. Um my yeah, wife got comic. me the omnibus volume oh, one. Oh, really? For 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 uh Hanukkah. Beautiful. Um, uh Christmas for her, Hanukkah for me. And and I was like, <laughs> this must have cost a fortune. And she's like, I I have my secrets. <laughs> I was like I was like, no, seriously, tell me how much it cost. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so, uh yeah, that I mean it, that was such a good period of time I feel like in comics too. Um I know. but maybe that's just, you know. Yeah, you, you were my comic buddy. Like you, Yeah. I, it's funny. I go in and out. Like there will be years where I'm not reading them, but yeah, I do 2009 um, I think was the yeah. was the year I was reading a ton of comics. Yeah, same. Yeah. So how many bagels do you give this? Oh man. Um and it's are we talking baker's dozen, right? We're talking That's to baker's scale. and we're talking to baker's dozen. We're talking 13. Um okay, uh, I'm I I want to be biased um and just <laughs> give it my, my heart's answer is 13. My intellectual answer is sort of like 10. There's there are things that I can understand would be off-putting to someone. There are mm-hmm. things that are very weird about it. Um, somewhere between a ten and a thirteen feels like. Well, then it's a you know it's eleven point five. I give it eleven and a half bagels. <laughs> I'm giving it eleven. I'm taking two out for the dialogue that yeah. doesn't age well, and yep. I'm taking out uh, one because I don't feel like I got enough uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman or enough mm. Louise Guzman. 
I gotta, I gotta say that his his shut up, shut up, shut shut up, shut up scene is <laughs> uh is like seared into my memory. You know, like the moment that he would go to the mattress shop, I was like, oh, it's coming. <laughs> will you shut up? Shut up! Shut! 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 Shut up! Shut up! Now. Are you threatening me, Dick? Yep. <laughs> He's going to be on the phone soon. Yeah. Yep. And um, that was written for Sean Penn. What? Yeah. No. Sean, Sean Penn was going to do it. And uh, scheduling conflicts with Mystic River. Yeah. So he Weird had to come, he had to, come to my neck of the woods. Um, so Philip Seymour Hoffman, there could not have been a better choice for that. No, Sean Penn would have been wrong. Philip no. Seymour Hoffman all the way. Yeah, because this was the time period where Philip Seymour Hoffman was just in everything. This year alone, he did this. He did Along Came Polly. Which he is phenomenal in. Yeah, in a movie that should not be as good as it is. It, no. I, I would say it's only good because of him. Yeah, he's the saving grace of yeah. the film. Yeah. So, Colby, my friend, you made Tell a me. you made a short film. You made a wonderful film that I watched twice this morning. That, oh my goodness! Thank you. Yes. Back to back views. Yeah. Oh, lead lead follow is <laughs> yes your, is your new short because you always send me your shorts. I loved the vacation. The oh, thank you. Yeah. Yes, yes. The yeah. pool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lead it, follow. I do have a new film. And it was really interesting to, I mean, it's a short film that I wrote and directed. And it was, I had wanted to reach out and send it to you. And then we were talking about this movie and sitting and watching the movie, I was like, mm. <laughs> a lot of what I'm interested in ro in romantic storytelling yep. is coming from and in conversation with well, this Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Yeah, it's really an interesting double feature. It it really was. Um, yeah, you have you have Bunny from Physical. You have Della's. <laughs> That's correct. Yes, she's, she's so, so good in this. We have a delightful um, British uh, love interest in the same way, and it really threw me for a loop to sit down and watch that again. Um, Della is a delight. She's great on Physical. She's a great physical actress. Um, and then the film has dance. And so it was sort of like, a, oh, you are the the one perfect person to get to do this. Yeah. 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 So do you want to talk about where yeah, the I idea plug came it. from? Well, where it came from. <laughs> <laughs> because you, you created a, a relationship in under 12 minutes that felt yes. organic, real, and you literally have a line in the short where you say, uh, where they say, I don't have baggage. Neither do I. And I'm like, <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> Cause at the beginning of a, re of a relationship, you tell the other person, no, I'm fine. You gotta go in strong and <laughs> present your best self. <laughs> yeah. I lead follow, you know, it's something that, um, I really wanted the challenge of, could you do a relationship story and a relationship movie that, um, like, got all the way from that first thing of like, oh, I'm good. I'm presenting my best self to the phase where you kind of let those walls down and are like, okay, here's the real honest deal <laughs> is like, these are all the problems I have is that can we work with that together? Um, that was kind of the conceit. And then that quickly became, um, well, you got to do it in one take and you got to have dance and it, it is very jazzy and fun and, and I hope funny. Um, but I do think it comes from that kind of, um, lack of, you know, going into a relationship, you want to be available and sort of honest, but like you have to get really vulnerable. And like, I think you can only know your baggage <laughs> mm -hmm. in relation to someone else. <laughs> like yeah. it's easy to pretend you don't have baggage until you're with somebody else. And they're like, Oh, I see what the baggage is. I do have some. And I love the dialogue in it because it, it feels like half of it is a normal conversation that you would have, but other, others moments feel like, you know, the looks you give someone, mm -hmm. but then, you know, they're they're verbalizing it. They're verbalizing their actual facial expressions. It's a weird uh, the the 
dialogue in the film is so weird to act. Like that was kind of the delight of doing it is I think a lot of the movie kind of starts where it's it's almost like they're saying exactly what they're thinking, yeah. <laughs> which is not what you're supposed to do in a movie. Yeah. Uh, you're supposed to have subtext. And um, they're weirdly just saying the subtext. And then as they kind of get to know one another, it sort of flips and becomes like natural. Right. Um, and I think that that was such a weird performance directing challenge of like oh you're in a really heightened world but then it slowly becomes the real world it, it really reminded me of uh 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 yorgo lathamos like hey i'll take it what a guy He's because the best. his dialogue i love his work his dialogue is so good um and it, it basically has also like hints of like british humor type of dialogue where mm -hmm. where you basically are saying things to point out the obvious and <laughs> yes you have to say what you're not allowed to say and yes ba basically i was like Th this is just colby <laughs> <laughs> i'm so glad that that's your take yeah i i would love for people to um watch it it's available online now um uh but it is yeah i wanted to make something that i think really felt like me and my what I think is interesting and unique. And, you know, you talk a lot of, in art about like a filmmaker's voice or whatever. And I just thought that this would be a very good encapsulation of everything that I'm into, which is like very sincere and very sweet and very honest. And then also like really silly and dumb. And if you can kind of pair those two together, that to me is like perfect movie. We'll we'll put the link in the show notes for this. So, oh, incredible! Yeah. Um, but you're going on the festival circuit now for this. Yeah, we've been running all over. Um, it uh, we did um Austin Film Festival just a little while ago, which was really really great and so fun. And we're um in competition for like best short there, which was really really cool to get to do. Um, and our cast who are phenomenal, Della and uh, Sam Harris, who's in the band X Ambassadors, yep. was our was our male lead. Um, they both got to come out to Austin, which was super fun. And, uh, you know, continuing to try to show it. Um, we showed it at my local theater, which was so cool <laughs> <laughs> um, to like drive down the road to my favorite movie theater and show the movie was really special. Um, so, yeah, I'm just trying to get people to see it and watch it. And I think it's a nice, you know, it's a nice little love story and would be a good February watch. I yeah. Think. Yeah. It's. It's very good, and I thank and you so much. Pe people are gonna be like, "You're his friend." You're just saying that, and <laughs> and no, Colby. You know I don't bullshit you. Like like no, if, Scott's if, a critic. Scott grew up a critic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I grew up uh, a pain in the ass. Um, <laughs> no, that that's the one thing about both you and I. Like if we feel the other one can do better we will say that to each other and like yeah you gotta you gotta push and i think you gotta be honest and that's and how you th make that's stuff. literally what you know being friends is all about <laughs> so yes because um i literally told you with your previous short happy vacation i yes i, I was like this scared the shit out of me <laughs> this is my biggest fear <laughs> and i love you to death man but I'm not watching no this thanks. again because you scared the shit out of me. Uh-uh. Too <laughs> um, scary. But, the, like, I just felt really happy. I was like, I literally said out loud, and the only people who could hear me are my three dogs. I was like, oh, my God. Great <gasps> job, Colby. And they just looked at me, and they're like, treats? I was like, no. <laughs> no, we're excited about our friend's achievement. God um, damn it, guys. That's really sweet. When you get to watch something and just be like, oh, yes, um, that a friend did, it's the best feeling in the world. <laughs> because you do go in with a little glimmer of like, uh-oh, I hope I like it. Um, I mean, and when it pays off, it's like, oh, thank goodness. I loved it. I mean, you've seen some of my shorts, and I always appreciate when you're honest with me. And I think the greatest thing is watching you succeed. You've been doing oh, thank you. such amazing work, man. And you have so much stuff that 
we we can't really talk about, can we? Not not we not can't th- really talk about it. I but, wrote a movie that's gonna be on Netflix. I'm just talking about it now. Um, but, but yeah, I'm not allowed to say a lot about it. But no, I I wrote a movie that will so come out exciting. later this year. I'm so <laughs> proud of you. Thank you. Yeah, I'll be like, back. Like we'll when I when I later. told when I told my when I told my wife about that. She's like, are you allowed to be talking about this? And I'm like, no. <laughs> the secret industry buzz. I was like, um, no, but he trusts me. <laughs> what am I allowed to say? Um, I, I read I a movie you... called Spaceman that Adam Sandler, who we spent a lot of time talking about and love, uh, is in. He's the lead in the film. It's going to be on Netflix at some point in 2023. That's all public information. That's all I can say. Yep. <laughs> Adam Sabler's in it. I'm excited for people to see it. Yep. It's a movie. <laughs> That's literally all. I'm trying not to break the rules. <laughs> yep. Yep. And I promise you I wouldn't say anything yep. else. So, <laughs> so that's exciting. But yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. So, Colby, buddy, you are welcome anytime back on the podcast. Thank you. I'd love to come back. I love to talk about movies. Uh, you're a delight. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's all I got. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you. I have another podcast called Hell is a Musical. You can find that on the Zero Science Network. And I have another podcast, well, a mini series called When Scary Met Stabby, which is coming back in October, but we are hard in the booth recording right now. And if you liked my previous covid pandemic miniseries we're in the world of Stephen quincy urkel you can still find that we still have that up so those are on twitter instagram facebook and you can find all of those podcasts on the zero science network if you like this podcast leave five stars and until next time i'm scott curlin thanks colby thank you until next time bye